pray. God, as we come to your word, we ask for your power and your might to open the eyes of our heart, our mind, our soul, our entire being, so that we see you more clearly, that we know Christ more dearly, that we are filled with love for you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our Bible study in Revelation, which, by the way, is this week, Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. online, and then also our evening session at 6.30, we've been studying Revelation. And uh, we've been doing these seven letters to the churches. And a couple weeks ago, we did the letter to the church in Philadelphia, and it had one of the same themes in it as we have today. So I thought it would be good to start off today's message with kind of the same question. What does it take to run a marathon? So I'm asking, what does it take to run a marathon? Endurance, right? It takes endurance to be able to not only run, but to finish the race. And so I want to tell you about one particular ultra marathon. It was in Australia from 1983 to 1991, and it went from Sydney to Melbourne, and the path was about 544 miles. They call this an ultra marathon, and it took days to run. Now, on the inaugural day, on the inaugural marathon, there was a fellow who joined, and his name was Clifford Young. He was 61 years old. He was a potato farmer. He showed up, not in any fancy running clothes whatsoever, kind of in his normal work clothes that he would have in a field. He didn't have on running shoes. He had on his boots. And he ran. But he didn't run like you and I would normally run. He was kind of doing a shuffle. You see, growing up, he worked in a farm that was very poor. His family was very poor. They didn't even have horses, but they had large fields. So he had to go out, and he would spend a long time in the field. Now, of course, all the fast runners, they were very far ahead of him. But the thing about Clifford Young and his shuffle, and that's what they called it, the Young Shuffle, he ran without stopping. While the others slept for about six hours overnight, he ran. And he just kept running. And he won that race by 10 hours. Isn't that amazing? 10 hours. So effective was the young shuffle that others decided to imitate him because it was more energy efficient. Now, was he flashy? No. As a matter of fact, he didn't even bring his dentures along because he said they rattled when he ran. But he wasn't fat, flashy. He wasn't anything, but he had endurance. You and I are to run the race with endurance. And that's what we are to have. We are called to have an enduring, enduring in faith to the end. 
a steadfast faith to the very end, one that continues to follow Jesus and to proclaim him throughout. Look, Paul wrote this, and you know this one, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then from our reading, our gospel reading today, Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, this is something that doesn't get talked about too much anymore, is to have a faith that endures, an endurance, steadfastness throughout. And especially, you know, our prayer list was pretty long this morning, right? To have endurance through trials, through tribulations. And we are to have that same steadfast endurance Especially when we talk about end times. Because let's face it, we take a look at the news and everything that's happening, and there seems to be more and more things that line up with end times. But we are not to be distracted by everything that's happening in the end times. Rather, we are to keep our focus on Christ Jesus and to be able to have a faith in the here and now. You see, all of the words of Scripture, and the words of Jesus, especially from our Gospel reading, were meant to prepare, encourage, and motivate us to live faithfully in the face of trials. To have a living faith in the here and now, and to the very end. That's really the focus of what he's talking about in our gospel reading. And also, if you take a look in the letters to the churches, it is about enduring, about being zealous, about having the love of Christ throughout. So today, kind of a simple message in a way, it is to focus, it is to focus on the eternal, Don't be led astray, and then endure in faith to the end. So focus on the eternal. That's our first one. It says this, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So what's the context for this? It's after Palm Sunday. So there's been the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he has been teaching in the temple. And also because this account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we can do some cross-referencing with it as well. And we find out that the disciples said this. We find this in Mark. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You see, 
they were in Jerusalem, and the temple was there, and it was beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been to, Jer- to uh, Jerusalem, or if you've seen the ruins, or you've done any research and seen what it would have been like. It was truly awe-inspiring. And we don't have many buildings like that nowadays. But I thought, how do you get a sense of this? So there is one particular building that most people know about, and it is the Basilica of St. Peter. So it is the largest traditional church building in the world. By some accounts, you could have 60,000 people standing in it, or about 35,000 people sitting. The plaza outside holds up to 300,000 people. It took 120 years to complete, and it holds some of the greatest artwork in the world. The architecture is inspiring. So imagine this, right? Imagine that if you were one of the disciples with Jesus and saw a building like this and said, wow, look at this building. Isn't it wonderful? And Jesus said to you, it's going to be rubble. It's rubbish. Nothing of this building will stand anymore. That's what he's getting at here. You see, really what Jesus is talking about here is that nothing that man has ever built will last. Nothing. There's nothing permanent here on earth. Nothing. And you think about how much time and effort we spend on all of the things that are not permanent, that are not eternal. But the older you get, the more you realize that, right? Right? I, I, I know who I'm talking to here. The older you get, you kind of go, wow, not, nothing's... And you, you certainly go, oh, my body's not eternal either. Right? And you start to realize that really all flesh is like grass. It'll wither and fade, and these buildings will be nothing. You see, again and again, Jesus focuses on the eternal, which is permanent. He doesn't focus on the things of this world, but he says, don't, he says, don't lay up your treasures on here, on earth. Lay up your treasures where? In heaven, right? So he's talking about that. You see, for a spiritual, for spiritual endurance, you have to have an eternal focus. For spiritual endurance, you have to have a an eternal focus. I mean, Jesus taught about that again and again. And even death is not permanent for us. We talked about that two weeks ago. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He is always talking and focusing about the eternal. So he is saying to the disciples, you need to shift your focus, not on the here and now, but on God, who is eternal. 
the kingdom of heaven, which is eternal. Now, I don't know about you. It's hard for me to comprehend all this. The disciples certainly did not comprehend all of this. So they go to the Mount of Olives. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. So, you should note here that Jesus does not say when. He doesn't give a date, does he? That's the first thing the disciples wanted. That's the first thing that everybody else wants today. When? Tell me when. He doesn't say when. He's going to give them some of the what later on, some of the things to look for, but he doesn't say when. Notice what he says. What's the warning? See that no one leads you astray. See, if you're running the spiritual marathon here, it's really easy to get distracted, isn't it? To go off on one side or the other. And by the way, you know this because each year in Arizona, there are people who go hiking and then get led astray, right? And they get very bad heat stroke and they must be rescued or some of them even die. They leave the path that they were supposed to follow. Jesus is warning his disciples to stay on the right path, not to be led astray by anything. So now he's going to give them two things, really, to watch out so they aren't led astray. The first is false Christ and then birth pains. So let's talk false Christ. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Later in the discourse, he reiterates this. He says, uh, verse 23, 24, Therefore, if anyone says to you, Behold, here's, a, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now remember, who's he talking to? He's not talking just to our normal crowd, is he? He's talking to the disciples. And we know that uh, from cross-referencing that this is Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These are pillars of the disciples. So if he's warning them, we should doubly take heed at that warning. Look, there are many throughout history who have said they are the Christ. I've talked about these. Um, so the founder of Baha'i Faith, he said he was the Christ. Reverend Sung Young Moon of the Moonies, he said that he was the Christ. And I came across a new one recently. Uh, didn't know about him. His name is Alan John Miller, born in either 1962 or 63. He's a former Jehovah's Witness elder. 
and he's the current leader of the Australia-based Divine Truth Movement. He claims to be Jesus Christ reincarnated. And his partner, Mary Suzanne Luck, says that she is Mary Magdalene. I mean, it's, it, it, there are so, so many that say, I am the Christ. But you know what? I'm not as worried for us here, sitting here, about being led astray by false Christ, somebody who actually proclaims that. I think the greater danger is people who preach a false Christ. I think that's the greater danger that we have right now. So, uh, hopefully you can read that. So there's a biblical Jesus. There's also the modern Jesus. The biblical Jesus is born as God Almighty in the flesh. The modern Jesus was a good teacher, a man, even or, or even born as a man and promoted to deity. The biblical Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. The modern Jesus sends all to heaven, dismisses hell. The biblical Jesus gives you salvation, hope, peace, and joy. The modern Jesus gives you health, wealth, and happiness. The biblical Jesus says to expect persecution in his name. The modern Jesus promises our best life now. The biblical Jesus warns of false signs and wonders, magnifies God's word. The modern Jesus exalts signs, wonders, and mysticism above God's word. This is the danger we face more than anything, and that people really are truly being led astray, following a Christ of their imagination. Where do we find the real Jesus? In Scripture, right? We find the real Jesus in Scripture. We find it in God's own Word, which is why we stand firmly upon the Word and not the world. Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So in this spiritual race, the endurance, we must focus on the eternal. We must not be led astray by false Christ or birth pains. So let's go with our reading. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So, there's a lot of different signs there of these birth pains. I'm just going to put them in a little chart for you. It says false Christs, war and rumors of war, nations rising against nations, famines, earthquakes, deliver saints to death. Those are the beginning of the birth pains. 
So let me ask you, does this refer to the destruction of Jerusalem? Does it refer to the second coming? Yes and yes. Well, how can that be? Hold on. It, it's with two, two, two different times? Yes, you often find prophecy having an immediate or very near future effect and also a very far future effect. I mean, just think about all the messianic prophecies from the Old Testament, right? It certainly had a future effect. So, how can we tell if, that this is about the second coming as well? Not only the destruction of Jerusalem, but the, the second coming as well. We don't have to try to divine anything very hard. All we have to do is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Because you actually find that there's a lot of parallels when it comes to Revelation chapter 6. And that's why we had that particular reading today. So, there are six seals that are open. There's actually a seventh seal. Now, I know in Bible study we haven't gotten there, but you actually find the scroll in chapter 5. It is in God the Father's right hand, and it is His fullness, the plan, that will be uh, uh, unfolded, and the Father holds that. And then in chapter 6, who opens the scroll? The Lamb of God, Jesus Himself. He is the only one worthy to open up the scroll. And there are seals that are open one by one. The first seal is the hardest one for us to actually understand. It could be Christ the Antichrist, a military general. It could be a false prophet. Look, I, 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 all my go-to commentaries on this, they differ in their interpretations. And there's hours. I mean, literally, there's hours of content we could do when it comes to trying to decide which it is. Personally, I would go either with the Antichrist or Christ, but push came to shove, I would go with Antichrist because it seems to fit better with other prophecies, especially talking about Matthew with false, false Christ and also the destruction that follows. Okay, so that's the first one. The second, and you've heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These, these are the four horsemen. So you, the, the second one would be war. The third seal is the black horse with a pair of scales. And the scales are to measure out the grain. And you'd have to pay a full day's wages just to get a little bit of grain to make bread. This is truly a famine that we are talking about. The fourth seal is the pale horse, and that is death. The fifth seal, it's the faithful who have been slain, and finally, earthquakes. Do these sound familiar to what Jesus talked about? When you look at them side by side, 
They're not all in the exact same order, but they do mesh, don't they? They really do mesh. So Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, the Mount of Olives, he is talking about not only what's coming with the destruction of Jerusalem, but what is coming. But when these come, it's still not the very end. (laughs) You'd want it to be the very end by then, wouldn't you? But it's not the very end. It's the beginning of birth pains. So there is Braxton Hicks, right? Braxton Hicks. These are the birth pains that a pregnant woman might have before actual labor. It feels like you're going into labor, but it's not actual labor. But when those happen, you definitely know that labor is to come. And even when you are in labor, you still don't know the exact time of the birth. So Jesus says that these things are going to be coming. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, you need to be ready. Because Jesus says this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Did that happen with the the disciples? Yes, they, they they were martyred. John imprisoned for his life. But they were truly under persecution. Now, is this a saying that the modern Jesus would ever say? No, you don't find pastors preaching who are do the modern Jesus. They skip over this one entirely. But this is a promise that he made to his disciples. And look, when you take a look at our world this very day, are more and more Christians under persecution? Yes, indeed they are. And the hatred is rising. We've talked about persecution in other countries. It's starting to happen here. So we need to be prepared and certainly being hated for his name's sake. You know, we do the invocation. And one of the town council members sent me an email that they had received about how they hated hearing the name of Jesus at the invocation. It was a nasty email. So it, it's, it's around us. Jesus promises us this. So, I mean, this, this is not good news, right? This, out of all good news, this is not good news. That we will be hated, that we will be persecuted, even put to death. So how do we stand in that? How do you have enduring faith in that? Well, you must stand on Christ Jesus, the solid rock and his word. We're going to sing that song for our closing song. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We must stand on him and his word. That is what gives us enduring faith. Because people, some people, actually many, are not going to stand on firm ground. He says this, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. When it says fall away, this is not stumbling or backsliding. 
not talking about that. This is truly falling away. It is a re- outright rejection of Jesus. It's true. It's an outright rejection of Jesus. It is a rejection of the grace that God has given us. It's a rejection of the gift of grace of salvation. And those who are led astray will fall away. And they do reject. He also says this, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We've talked about this several times in our Bible study in Revelation. It is the love of Christ that grows cold. And then there's a a separation between us and Jesus. And because of that love of Christ has grown cold, then the love for others grows cold as well. So how do you combat that, right? How do you combat not growing cold, not falling away? Here's what Scripture says. It says, and this is going to be from Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We are to exhort. What's that mean? It means to encourage one another. To have a, a passion, a zealousness, a zeal in encouraging one another in our walk of faith because we all need that. And the more you encourage and are zealous with one another, they then can do that, well, for you when you need it, but also then for others. And becomes a spirit-filled fellowship of encouragement. And this is what it is needed, especially when you are in a spiritual race of endurance. You need, you need those people, right? You see them in the races. They're there. They're clapping people on. Some people are even running with others. Or me, the Clifford Young Shuffle, you know, shuffling along with others but encouraging them as long as it is the day. So focus on the eternal, do not be led astray, and then endure in faith to the end. But the one endures to the end will be saved. What is, you know, we've been using this word endurance quite a bit here, but what does that mean? Well, it is the ability to persevere, right? To persevere even in the face of headwinds even in the face of trials, uh, uh, opposition, having that goal in front of you. So what is that goal in front of you? Here's here's the only thing I, I, I would love to have Jesus say of me when I finish the race is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I really want. That's it. And so to 
run that race, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. That's what we're talking about. He endures. You receive that, that crown of life. So there's the promise of, uh, of salvation in here. James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And Hebrews chapter 10, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This is what's waiting for you. Not that you earn it by how fast you run, how strong you are. You receive it by faith. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. So for us, be ready. And this is by fellow S.K. Weber. Be ready. Do the work of the kingdom. Right? Proclaim the gospel throughout. Don't get distracted by all the things that are going one way or all the things that are going another. Keep your focus on Christ Jesus and the gospel. Prepare yourself now. Have a living faith here now so that the end you may be embraced by your King. Amen. Thank you.